Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing today? Good. Some of you said, oh, we're surprised you're here today. I don't know if it was because of last week's sermon. Um, but hey, uh, speaking of that, just real quick, um, I just want to thank you for your encouragement um, after last week's message. Um, it was just really awesome to hear how uh, the Spirit was speaking in your life. And um, I mean, I heard from folks that just live stream. That's, that was awesome for me to uh, uh, just kind of hear how you're interacting. And I also want to share um, just the freedom that you all give me to preach the word. Now, here's the thing. If you didn't give me the freedom, I'd still preach the word. But to know that I can talk about those things, bring up those hard subjects, and to know that you're receiving it with um, just um, gladness that it is the word of God and that it transforms lives, uh, that, that's just, that was awesome. Uh, so uh, thank you for your encouragement this week as we looked at that very wonderfully difficult, challenging subject. I think everyone I talked to said, how did your kids process that? <laughs> so you can ask them later. So I'd like to dismiss the children for Children's Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Proverbs 16. We're going to look at a few verses in Proverbs 16 and some other passages uh, throughout Proverbs and, and some other places. I'm going to have the verses on the screen, um, but we'll be using Proverbs 16 kind of as an anchor point for uh, what we're looking at this morning in the text. Uh, as you turn there, I just want to share this, uh, this story I came across. That I, don't, I don't know if you're aware of who James Montgomery Boyce was. Uh, he was the late pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, uh, Angela and I were able to sit under the ministry of his word while we were in college, and he passed away, I think, within a year of when we first started attending. Um, and he was just very uh, faithful to the word, um, very faithful, godly man. He shared this story often in his ministry, and it goes like this. There was a mountain climber who slipped on a ledge, and he was about to plummet thousands of feet below into the abyss that was beneath him. And as he started to fall, he reached out for a branch that was kind of hanging off of this scraggly little tree that found its way into the rock, uh, the side of the rock cliff. And he's holding on to the, the branch and he, he's starting to feel that, you know, this isn't going to last long. And as he was hanging there, thinking about facing certain death, a voice came out of the heavens and said, I'm here to help you. Let go of the branch and trust me. The man looked up to heaven, then looked back down into the abyss. And finally, he raised his voice, the man hanging on for his life, and said into the unknown sky, is there anyone else up there who can help me. Isn't that the rub? Isn't that where faith is? We hear God's voice. We hear what he's saying. And he's saying, let go and trust me. And we're thinking, is there another way? 
Is there someone else? I mean, while the majority of people assume that someone is up there, many reject the notion that the true one who is up there is the only one who is able to give guidance and direction. And more than that, he and he alone saves completely those who trust in him. We often wrestle with this truth. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that He is all-knowing. We know that He is everywhere present all at once. And yet we often live lives as if He needs help. That He needs informed. And that He is often too busy to bother with us in our little situations. And we think He's too busy. He's too grand to focus on us in our moments. And so this morning, church, I pray we see our Lord for who He is today. Our sovereign King. Superintending, working, managing, controlling the affairs of this world. He does it at both a macro level, which is the big picture, And he also does it at the micro level, which is every small, minute moment of every person's life. And he does it all for our good and for his glory. And when I say that God is sovereign, That He is the sovereign King. And I so much appreciated our worship time this morning. Because we got the sense, right? We were praising God for His kingship. That He is the one on the throne. What I say when I mean that God is a sovereign King is that I mean that He is the ruler of the earth. And that He is kind and benevolent towards those who fear Him. God is to be praised for His care over His creation. He is completely sovereign. Listen to Psalm 47. This is for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. There is only one king who sits on the throne. There is only one sovereign that has the right to rule and reign, and He does it perfectly. And we, as His, not just subjects, 
but as his children are invited in to praise his holy name. In the the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says this in chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, this is the plan devised against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for a stretched out hand, who can turn it back? God has a plan for his creation. Nobody can push back his stretched out hand. Nothing can thwart the plans that he has for his creation. Can I say that again? Nothing can change the plan of God, can frustrate the plan of God. Nothing can cause God to say, nope, we're going to do something else. His plans and purposes and ways stand forever. Our Lord is an active king. Isaiah calls us to consider who can turn back the hand of the Lord. He's active. He's working. He is the great king that is over all the earth. Now, when we talk about God's sovereignty in Scripture, we are talking about that great doctrine that asserts that he is actively exercising his supremacy over all creation. There's a word there that we need to focus on. Active. He's not passive. He's not reactionary. God is actively exercising his supremacy over all creation. When we start thinking about the kingship of Jesus... You know, we know him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what the Old Testament promised us. We often think in this sense of, okay, when he returns, he'll be king. When he sets up his kingdom, then he'll be king. Here's the thing, though. Because God is eternal and he is immutable, that means he doesn't change. From everlasting to everlasting, he has always been the sovereign king. And even when it seems like in our world today that God is somehow not in charge, the Scriptures beckon us to the truth that God is on the throne. There is nothing that happens in this world that God is not overseeing, directing, and is sovereign over. Nothing. And I say that with a certain heaviness this morning. Not in denial, but soberly. I think of the tragic shooting in Texas. And this was not an event that occurred outside of the sovereign power of God. Nor does the act of pure evil negate or prove that God is not in control. But then we ask, like Job asked, Why, Lord? See, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God would be this wonderfully safe doctrine if everything worked out well all the time. 
If everything was easy, if everything went according to plan, if there was no trouble, no sin, no evil, no destruction, no loss, no mourning, no grief, we could easily say, God, yes, you are sovereign. And yet when evil shows itself, we must affirm and assert that God is still on the throne. And we must run to Him and find safety and shelter. And as many of you know, even personally for our family this week, there's a certain wrestling with the news of my father-in-law's diagnosis. God, if you are sovereign and good, why? With all the questions that we could ask concerning evil and pain and sorrow, God's sovereignty remains steadfast and is a comfort to the believer. Charles Spurgeon said it best, and he said this over a hundred years ago. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. It is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon the throne whom we trust. It's that truth of God's sovereignty that comforts us, agreeing with Joseph who said, what man intended for evil, God uses for good. It's God's sovereignty that is a comfort for us that when we read Romans 8.28, for God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose, that we are assured that the sovereign king is working his purposes on our behalf for our good and his glory. This morning, as we spend time together in God's word, especially in Proverbs, I'd like us to consider the sovereignty of God and consider the wisdom of Proverbs as we are called to live out his truth in our lives. Remember, Proverbs is that call to wisdom, practical wisdom, God's truth applied in our lives. And what does it look like to have a sovereign king on the throne who is actively working his will on our behalf for his glory and our good? What does it mean? How should we consider it? What is the effect and depth of it? Because I would say for all of us, we need to have a functioning understanding. Like we need, we need to have a category in our lives of knowing what it means that God is on the throne and that he is actively working his purposes on our behalf. Because I think sometimes we, we know that here, but we act like, like functioning deists. 
And what I mean by that is that Deus says there is a God, but do we know him personally? And is he actively working? Like we know that there is a God, but based on what we're experiencing, we often live like he's not actively working. And Proverbs reminds us that there is a sovereign king on the throne. And he's not just working in your life as a believer. He's working in the world, in everyone's life, for his purposes. This is a hard doctrine to synthesize. Because we can believe in God's sovereignty... And we can believe that we have a will, and yet we have a hard time bringing it together. How is there a sovereign God, and how do we have free will responsibility, and how does it mesh? And after the sermon, if you feel like you can explain it better than I'm going to attempt, please, come up front. Because I I can tell you what, this is one of those questions that hangs over all of us. It's clear in Proverbs and throughout the rest of Scripture that God is intimately involved in every detail of our lives. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. His eyes are in every place. As we look in Proverbs today, I pray we see there is a king and he is good and that we need to submit to him. We need wisdom from heaven because left to ourselves, we like our self-will and we like to be in control. And here's what I know. When I read Proverbs, it's very clear to me I'm not in control. I've never been in control. It's all an illusion. Like I'm, I'm I'm just living a lie. But Proverbs reminds me that there's a king ordering and directing and and moving in my life. And when I know that, then what I can understand is that in my lowest low, in my deepest pain, in the greatest struggle of the heart, I know that God is with me and he is working his purposes on my behalf. I may not understand it. And I may not even like it. But there is a greater treasure that is found in the sorrow of the soul when you trust in the Lord. God's sovereignty reminds us that He always is actively working in His creation. So the first thing I'd like us to see, and we, we see this in Proverbs 16, is that God is sovereign over the will of man. And I just gave you that, that, that troubling tension that exists between God's sovereignty and man's free will. That God is sovereign over the will of man. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then in verse 9, The mind of the man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The mind of many plans his way. You know, we think we have a a good plan, a good handle, a good course of action, but it's the Lord who directs our steps. God is sovereign over our actions. If I were to synthesize verse 1 with verse 9, 
I would say this, we make our plans, but God works out what he wants. We make our plans, God works out what he wants. And this is in line with what Solomon writes in Proverbs 20, 24. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Man's steps, right? Right foot, left foot, right foot, right, right, right. It's all been ordained by God. Every step of our lives is ordained by the sovereign king. Now this statement in Proverbs 20:24 written by Solomon was likely greatly influenced by his daddy, King David. King David said this in Psalm 37 verse 23, "The steps of man are established by the Lord." And he delights in his way. He grew up in a home hearing from his dad, listen, son, your steps are ordained by the living God who is king over all creation. God directs. He directs our decisions and he directs our conduct. God plans the day-by-day events of our lives. He determines the course of of our lives. And none of us in the detailed planning that even some of you enjoy. Like I'm talking about detailed planning. Like some of you overplan. You have minutes planned in your day. Good for you. I at least want to know what's coming up in a ballpark general fashion. But for all of us, no matter the amount of planning you put into it, God is sovereign over your plans. And you know what that's like, right? How many of your plans 100% happen the way that you've planned them? Yeah, not at all. God determines the course of our lives. The arc of our life exceeds our understanding. How then can man understand his way? If God is ordaining our steps, how can we even understand it? Instead of trying to write out a master plan, okay? So if you're, if you're a master planner, if you have everything charted out, can I just invite you that in your plans, leave room for a sovereign king, Leave room for a God who is sitting on a throne and is intimately involved in the affairs of your life, guiding your steps. We don't know what will happen or when it will happen, but God certainly does, and He will be there for us and with us. And let me just add, in all of that, that doesn't mean planning isn't important. Because some of you are are kind of like offended that I said that It seems like planning isn't important. No, the scriptures aren't saying that planning isn't important. Planning is prudent. It's wise. In fact, we see this in verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man. Verse 9, the mind of man plans his way. It's wise to plan. 
to know where you're headed. Living wisely is having a plan, but it's trusting that God overrules our plans with his sovereign care. Plan your life with a loose grip. You know what I mean, right? Like we hold on to our plans so tightly that even when God begins to tug at what we hope for, we don't want to let go. Plan your life like this. Entrust yourself to the King. When you trust Him with your steps, your will goes into harmony with His will. And then you begin to see His hand sovereignly working in your life, guiding and directing the affairs of your life for, his good, or for your good and for His glory. And since God has the ultimate say in our lives, it is often difficult for a person to understand fully his own way. God has the final say. He does. There have been times in my life where I've tried really hard to show God that I have the final say. And he says, oh, my child. Now, you might say at this point, and it's a good question to ask, one that people have been wrestling with since the beginning of time. Philosophers and theologians have been trying to figure this out. But you might say at this point, if that's really true, then that God ordains our steps. Do I really have a free will to decide anything that concerns my life? If God is sovereign planning our steps, then are we held responsible for wrong choices, for sin? Theologians have been debating this for a super long time, almost 2,000 years. This is one of the difficult doctrines to synthesize, but I think uh, theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer helps us in this area. He says this, God sovereignly as king decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice and man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. So let's just pause right there in his quote and just expound on it just a minute to say this. As a sovereign king who is sovereign over creation, God has the ability and power to tell his creation, the bounds of how they are able to act and live. He gave permission for his creation to exercise free moral choice. It was in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he says, enjoy everything that I've given you, just not one thing. And so pre-fall, God enabled humanity to have free moral choice. Tozer goes on to say, 
Even when man chooses evil, he does not in that way neutralize the sovereign will of God, but he fulfills it. And so man is certainly accountable for choosing sin and will be judged accordingly. Now in theology, we, uh, we kind of group God's will in three main categories. We have God's decretive will. What this means is God's will that is accomplished by His direct action. When God said, let there be light, what was there? There was light. Light light didn't say to God, yeah, not right now. When God decrees, it happens. There's also God's prescriptive will. What do I mean by that? God's will that people not sin. God prescribes in His desire for humanity to follow Him and not fall short of His glory. How do we know this? Well, we we don't have to look very far, but the classic passage is in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. Here is His prescriptive will. When you follow me and walk with me, this is what I would like you to do. God has a prescribed will for humanity. And thirdly, God has a permissive will. What do I mean by this? God's will to permit people to sin and to do that which is contrary to His prescriptive will. God in His sovereignty gives a permissive will. God has not programmed us as robots. God does not choke us with His heavy hand saying, you will only do what I say. Oh, if it that were that easy. If, you have any, if we have any parents with us today, you know what I'm talking about. If you would only do what I would say. Well, that's not parenting. That's not shepherding. That's not leading. That is dictating. And God is a benevolent, sovereign king. And so this sovereign king gives us an opportunity to make free moral choices. And so we have free will. Now we need to define free will for a second because there can be some excesses with that. Let me just define it this way. Free will is the ability to freely act according to one's desires which are not forced and are also consistent with one's nature. But here's the thing with that definition. Free will cannot exist outside of the sovereignty of God because God is first. And this is where our brains begin to hurt. If free will existed outside of the sovereign will of God, then it would be independent of God. And independence from God is not possible when God is on the throne. Additionally, our free will is under the sovereignty of God. And yet we are still free to act according to God's sovereign plan. And His sovereign plan for His creation is choose. In the midst of His directing, His guiding. And so God's sovereignty is over the will of man. Proverbs also teaches us that God is sovereign over the rulers of the world. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Can I say it again? God is sovereign over the rulers of the world. He is completely sovereign over the rulers of the world. 
Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. If you want a full-scale reminder of this, read the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you have Daniel and his friends that are taken out of their homeland in Israel and taken off into captivity. And all throughout Daniel, again and again, there are these leaders that rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall. And who is sovereign over all those leaders? It is the Lord who sits on the throne and his purposes will stand. Listen, and we talk about this often enough because it is a uh, distraction in this world from our trust in the sovereignty of God. There is not a leader today in a place of power and influence that is not under the sovereign care of God. Not one. Even the evil ones. Even the ones you disagree with. Even the ones that are doing things that seem blatantly contrary to the expressed, decreed, will of God. God is even sovereign over the wicked kings, the wicked presidents, the wicked leaders, the wicked uh, tyrannical rulers. God can use wicked things to accomplish incredibly good ends. What was the most wicked event in human history? The most evil event in human history the cross. The cross is the most wicked, evil event in human history. The perfect Son of God crucified on the cross as a criminal. And yet that wicked event brought about the greatest gift of redemption this world has ever known. God is sovereign over even the most terrible, evil decisions that occur. Proverbs 21, 30, and 31 express that nobody can thwart God's plans. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Nobody can thwart God's plans. Only God is all wise. All effort has its limitations. Soldiers may have equipment and tools, but there is no assurance of victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. He is the one that causes nations to rise and fall. The Lord can turn battles his way in spite of man's efforts. Look at Israel's example in Joshua. When we talked about this rod, I think, was it last week we were reminded of it? Um, when Israel trusted God with the direction of taking the promised land, they received all the promises that God had given them. And when Israel got in the way of God's promises and they tried to do things on their own, by their own effort, they failed miserably. Nobody can thwart the sovereign will of God. And I say... Uh, Even today, as it seems right now, right, and you might be thinking of this yourself, when you look at what's happening in Eastern Europe right now and the, the nation of Ukraine, this small nation is able to push back this huge military power. Like, you can have all the plans, you can have all the equipment, you can have all the effort, but the battle belongs to the Lord. 
And so this isn't just simple, you know, I have more than you. This is a sovereign king sitting on the throne who is guiding and directing in the affairs of his creation. And verse 30 reminds us that you cannot come up with a plan that will overthrow God's plan. Can't do it. Proverbs also teaches us that God is sovereign over seemingly random events. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You know what a lot is? Not the guy lot, but you know what a lot is? What's the modern day equivalent of a lot? Dice. Thank you. God determines the outcome of every lot cast, every roll of the dice. God determines it. Can you imagine that right now? Like right in this moment, how many people are rolling dice? And God is determining every roll of that dice. There's no accidents. Some of you, and if you're a movie person, the, the Matrix, Matrix movies have really ruined our comprehension of this truth. Because some people think, well, if that's true, then we must be all plugged into some kind of supercomputer and everything is controlled for us. Can I say this? Everything is controlled by a sovereign king. There are no accidents, no oopses. There's only plan A. And God is fully aware and intimately involved. You know what this verse reminds me? There is nothing, no such thing as luck. Luck doesn't exist in the sovereignty of God. And we do it all the time. Good luck today. Oh, that was a lucky bounce. Hey, my son played a baseball game. Um, what, what night was it? Thursday night? It was a walk-off win for us. Very questionable call at the end of the game, where the ball bounced. Fair foul. It was basically dark out. It wasn't a lucky bounce. It wasn't a lucky decision. There's a sovereign God. Can I add to there is no such thing as luck? There also isn't a such thing as karma. Boy, we throw that word around a lot. Karma's going to get you. Oh, if you do good, good will be returned to you. There's no such thing as that. Our lives and affairs of the world are not let, left to some kind of cosmic chaos where some are more lucky than others. Our Lord is sovereignly on the throne and nothing happens by accident. Trust the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will guide your steps. As Proverbs 4, 5, and 6 remind us. Proverbs 16.3 reminds us that our plans are established by God 
when what we do is committed to him. Let's go back to Proverbs 16. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Do you see the partnership in God's sovereignty with that? In verse 3, Solomon says, commit your works to the Lord. Commit what you do to the Lord. Listen, if you commit what you do with your life to the Lord who is sovereign on the throne, if you commit what your aspirations are, what your desires are, what your plans are, what the affairs of your life are, what is going to happen in your life. If you start and stay with a God who is on the throne, then all of your plans will be established. And when I hear that word established, I hear like secure, a foundation, They're not going to shake. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The problem is we go through life making all these plans that are not committed to the Lord and the ground starts shaking beneath us and then we begin to blame God and say, why didn't this happen? Commit your plans to the Lord and He will establish your ways. Church, Our God is with you. He's working His will out on your behalf. And when you're wondering if you should trust Him, like the mountain climber hanging on to the tree, when He says, let go and trust me, know that God will always lead you in the path of His blessing. Even when you're facing the hostility of sin and evil, even when the plans of your life are ruined, You can trust that God is certainly good on your behalf. And this study this week to, um, has reminded me to hold on to the plans of my life very loosely. I need that reminder all the time. As you know, we're going to be gone for the next three months. I feel like I have a plan, I feel like it's committed to the Lord, and yet I'm looking at what's going to take place over the next three months like this. Not like this. Because I know at any given moment what I want to have happen could change in an instant. There is only one king on the throne and I pray that we trust in his sovereign power. Let's pray.